You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, great to have you all here with us this morning at the Shore. If you're new here, welcome. Welcome to the Shore. It's a great place of community. Uh, we love kids and we love being a part of their lives as well and teaching them and training them. And, and this is the first Sunday of the month. And first Sunday of the month, the older kids actually stick around and stay in the gathering as we want to learn and grow them. And they're part of, full part of the, the body of Christ. And so that's why we do this. We want to train our kids up to the next generation that they would fall deeply in love with Jesus. And so uh, the older kids are here uh, along with us this morning. My mic is feeling a little bit weird on my ears, so I might be playing with that. But why don't we stand one more time? We're going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, this is one of those uh, texts of Scripture that we're entering into. We'll actually be in Hebrews 6 for the next month. Uh, so all of January, we're going to be in this amazing chapter. This is one of the, uh, hearing more and more as I study, one of the hardest uh, chapters to preach. Uh, so welcome to the shore. Uh, to come into this uh, hard text of Scripture. But uh, as we glean uh, what from this amazing chapter, uh, may we uh, learn deeply and apply some of the truths to our lives this morning. I'm getting some reverb. All right. You can figure that out as I read this text. You can follow along on the screen or with your own Bibles. It says this, Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of God. All right, before you grab a seat, let me pray one more time and then we'll jump into this amazing text. Jesus, we thank you for... Uh, this word. We thank you that all of your scriptures God breathed. We thank you that it is profitable for teaching and reproof. And I, I pray, Jesus, that it will be an encouragement to us as we move through this text slowly, this next chapter, through this next month, through the months to come, as we unpack this amazing book of Hebrews. And so I pray, Jesus, that we will learn, that we will glean, that you'll open our hearts, our minds to the truth, and that we will change, that we won't just listen, but that we will listen and change. And I pray uh, this for all of us, and I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, you can grab a seat. And kids, if you have that handout, we're going to start filling that thing out right, at, right at the, out of the get-go here, out of the gate. But let me ask you all a question. Do you remember swimming or jumping into a pool for the very first time in your life? Yes, I remember that. It was a fun day to know how to swim, but you didn't jump into the deep end, did you? You jumped in kind of where you kind of knew you could touch. I remember looking in the deep end the very first time, and I walk up to the edge, and I look, and I, in my mind I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's maybe like two people in this world that can touch the bottom of this pool. It was so deep. There's no way that I have never seen anybody go down and touch the bottom before. And so I would jump into the pool, but I would never jump into that end. Right? That end was a little bit scary. It looked deep. No one could touch that end. Well, our passage this morning, this Hebrews chapter 6, our passage this morning is the encouragement from another that has gone before us. 
Someone that is respected, that knows heroes of the church. Like if, when we get to the end of Hebrews, we'll, hear, we'll see the name of Timothy. He knows heroes of the church, leaders and saints. The letter is specific and one that is calling the church to action. The question is to all of us, are we willing, as we read through this scripture, are we willing to jump in to the deep end? Are we willing to go in a little bit further than we've ever gone before? So the outline, the question is there, but the outline for this morning is first, the list, only God. Almost a sentence, but first, the list, and then only God. So let's unpack this one section at a time. The first section there, num- chapter one or verse one of chapter six, let's read it again and glean from what we see there. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Now, right away, you ought to ask a question. And the question ought to be, what is this elementary doctrines of Christ? What are these things? Right? Also, it seems the author is repeating it himself. If you go back, actually, to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, you can see it on the screen. But it says, again, it's a repeat. Like last week, the author was talking about these oracles of God. The basic principles. And he refers them to, to be milk. To be, to be milk. To be something that we drink as an infant. And I wonder if this author is tying in this, the, the elementary doctrine and the, the basic principles of the oracles of God together. And I think he is. I think he's connecting the two here. And it sounds like they are, in fact, connected. So what are these basic principles or, or elementary doctrines of Christ? And before we get ahead of ourselves and begin this list of things, which is our second point, let's, let's see what the author is actually challenging us with here. So again, going back to our text, in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, and kids, anytime you see therefore, we've heard this over and over again, almost every sermon Right? The therefore is therefore. What is the therefore? Therefore, and it looks backwards. It looks backwards. And, and what is this saying? It's based on the dullness of your ears. Remember last week? The dullness of your ears. The, the fact that you should actually be teaching by now. Towards, and you should be going towards the solid food. The author now commands, commands us, encourages, exhorts us. Let us leave. Let us leave. Let us go on to. Let us leave. Let us go on to. Not laying again a foundation. Three times you can see that in the text. If you flip on to the next one. Uh, flip on to the next slide there. You can see those three things there. Three, three times the author is encouraging us to move forward to maturity. It's an encouragement. It's a movement. It's a growth. It's, a, it's an action step that we are called to. This is the first thing that the author goes. You need to move on towards maturity. The foundation, in a sense, is already laid. Now, I think I could probably be safe to say 90% of us have probably played with Lego. Yes? A good portion of us have played with Lego. You guys remember the, the big square pieces, that the flat, super flat, the, the base, right? They're either coming gray, blue, or green, right? Blue would be the water. Green would be the grass and the gray city, maybe, the city street. 
right? And, and you would build it off of the foundation. Like no time during your Lego playing, you would build the roof first. You would always build the walls first and then the, you'd build the, the roof of the house. You would lay the foundation. The same goes for building a real house. Like, if you drove around the neighborhood, there's no way you would find someone building on top of grass. Right? The reason why that is, is you'd always see people dig down. Why are they digging down? Why don't they just build on top of the grass? Well, they're digging down to get to hard-packed soil, hard-packed, the, the foundation, the rock, the hard soil to build upon and now begin to pour the concrete to build on the rock, the foundation for the house. This makes sense to us. See, the elementary doctrines are the milk. The elementary doctrines are actually the foundation. The author is saying to this Hebrew church, it is time to move towards maturity now. The foundation has been laid and that foundation is incredibly important. Now let's move forward. Let's begin to build the house. Let's begin to eat the solid food, the meat, essentially. To jump into the deep end of the pool. To begin to build upwards off of this amazing foundation. This is the first to know the elementary doctrines. This is what we as a followers of Jesus Christ ought to know. And the author is reminding us these elementary truths, these elementary doctrines, these basic oracles of God are to be known deeply. And once when you have that foundation, then now let's move forward. And this brings us to the list, the second thing that we're going to talk through. So verses 1 and 2 in this list seems to cover all we need to, for moving forward. Take a look at the text again. It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ... Go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of, here's your list, repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Like when you read that list, that is quite a list. It's quite a list. Six things that reading for the first time are a bit shocking to have on a list named elementary doctrines. So let's hit one at a time, but just a warning, this will be quick. So I want to encourage you all to further your study through this week. Further walk through these things. What are these elementary doctrines and have I a great understanding of them? It's a really important thing. So let's look at the number one. There's six things that we're going to cover. The first one is repentance from dead works. It's right there in the text. And kids, you're to circle those things. All right, so repentance from dead works, what does this mean? Well, the quick answer is that nothing you do, nothing you, can, you do can save you. Nothing you do can save you. It doesn't matter how many badges you have as a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. It doesn't matter how kind or generous you are. It doesn't matter how hard you have tried to remain pure. All your works are dead. Remember, this is a letter of exhortation to a church of people looking backwards towards Judaism. They're looking back towards ritual and ceremony, these dead works for purification. To go backwards away from the cross of Jesus and enter again into those rituals and ceremonies. Take a look, flip ahead in your Bibles to chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. 
It says this. It's not on the screen, so you have to actually look in your Bibles. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, if these burnt offerings that you wave over people, if they somehow sanctify you, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, it is not your works that saves you. It's not some ritual or ceremony. It is only Christ. His life sprinkled over yours that purifies and gives life. It is, it is not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, from the spin cycle of sin, repent, burn a sacrifice, and then repeat. See, the Mosaic law, which they want to go back to, cannot save them. They're wanting to go back to Mosaic law back here in the Old Testament. This is what they're journeying towards. This is this exhortation to the Hebrew church. Don't need to go back here. And if you worship a different God, if you're here and you worship some other God, some other form of God, that your law, like your law that you make up, whatever makes you good, it can't save you. And you know it deep down in your heart. Like all the rules that you follow, all the rituals that you follow, all the ceremonies that you follow, all the things that you make you good, you know deep down in your heart it won't save you. See, Galatians 3.24, it's on the screen. It says, the law was our guardian until. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, by faith in him, his work. Isaiah 64.6 says that all of your righteous works, all of the good things that you think you do are worthless rags to me. See, it is Jesus. This is the elementary teaching, trusting that it is Jesus who saves, period. Knowing this and believing it allows us to now move forward towards maturity. That's the first one. The second one is faith towards God. Faith towards God. Again, these two, actually, the first and the second are interconnected. And follow me on this. Does believing in God save you? Does believing in God save you? James 2.19, take a look at it on the screen. James 2.19 says this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Are the demons saved? Does believing save you? See, how many people have you come across that proclaim that there is a God, but yet live on their own terms? Like I remember flying in a plane towards somewhere. I can't remember the destination, but I was reading this book, and it had God on the front of it. And this lady sitting beside me goes, I'm interested in your book that you're reading. I go, oh, are you a Christian? And she, she's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a non-practicing Catholic. And I go, do you mind if I ask you a question? She's like, sure. I was like, what does that even mean? 
Like, are you saying you're a Catholic, but you don't practice? Like, I'm really confused by the non-practicing Catholic. And she goes, well, yeah, I never really thought about it. I get, I guess, I, I don't even know what that means. I was like, yeah, I've heard that a lot. Like, you, so you believe in something, but you don't practice it at all. Does that mean that you're actually not something that you're proclaiming that you are to be? Anyways, we had a really deep conversation, and it turned out I was able to share the gospel with her and help, help her see the, the truth of Jesus and, and then the abiding in him. But it was one of these things, like I'm making up something here, some list for me to worship. I believe in a God, but I don't follow him. And this is the people, right? They believe in some higher power. Some go as far as to say this higher power is the creator of the world, but yet... My terms say that I don't have to follow him. These are what the Bible calls the foolish. They are taught over and over again, but don't change even according to their own belief, their own made-up religion. And I would say the more depraved mind is the one who says there is a God, but doesn't change or seek to find him. This one is more depraved than the one proclaiming that there is no God. Now both are blind, right? Both are blind. And the most of the time, they are blinding themselves like the two-year-old playing hide-and-seek, right? That proclaims, now you can't see me. And I've done this all, with all my kids. We play hide-and-seek. It's a fun game to play with kids. And, and when they were young, it was, it was almost funny because the kid would put a blanket over themselves right in the middle of the living room. And it's like, there's no way you can find me. Just because I can't see you, now I am blind. I'm 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 hidden. I'm away from you judging me or finding me. See, faith in God is incredibly important, but it is only true faith that will transform you. The true confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And kids, listen to me on this one. When you believe in Jesus Christ and you confess him as your Lord and Savior, the promise of Scripture is that you will be saved. That you will be saved but that confession is a real confession. I believe with all my heart that you will save me. I believe with all my heart that you did what you said you did on the cross of Christ, that your blood covers me. I believe that with all of my being. That's when you are saved. And you want to follow it. You want to live this out. You want your, a true faith of following Jesus Christ. And that will guide you again towards maturity to faithfully work with him. The third instruction here we see in our text is instructions about washings. Now, this, the washings can also be translated as baptism. In the Old Testament, the Mosaic law prescribed a set of rituals for Israel's worship of God. They involved the sprinkling of water, the sprinkling of blood, the waving of grain, or the washing of clothes. Again, these all were fulfilled because of the work of Christ. Christ is the fulfiller of all ritual, all ceremony, all shadows pointing to him. He is fulfilling them. Matthew 5.17, it says it this way, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but actually to fulfill them. Fulfill them completely. See, Jesus had come to fulfill all prophecies, laws, any shadow, like I said, any shadow pointing to him, he is the fulfiller of it. He is the perfect example. He is the one that the shadow was pointing to. 
This means any washings you do, any food you proclaim to be special to eat, any festival you perform, Jesus fulfills it. Doing these things means you are in danger, actually, like the Hebrew church, of going back to Judaism, back to ritual, back to ceremony, which is actually taking you further away from the cross instead of moving to the other side, moving through the lens of Jesus. See, the washing of Israel under the law represent the purification of God's people. Now, in the Christian church, we have baptism. We have baptism symbolizing unity with Christ and identification with Him in His life, death, and resurrection. This is what baptism is. See, the ordinance left for us is the church that are given by Jesus Himself are now believer baptism. You are to repent of your sin and be washed, and you are to do that once as a proclamation of Jesus. And the second is communion. To understand fully what Jesus has done on the cross, to surrender to his work, to have faith in his work, to have confidence enough to proclaim his work for yourself, that's you partaking in communion. And this is why you shouldn't partake in communion unless you have believed and confessed Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It is a special action. It is a special thing. It's a table of grace. It's you confessing who Jesus is completely. That's why you're coming up to the table of grace. You understand what Jesus has done, and now you want to partake in him. See, baptism is not done as a ritual passed on to your family members, but a personal declaration, the personal confession and belief that Jesus is our eternal source for our salvation and has risen from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father. And hear me on this. No one can do this for you. You have to make this decision. And it's a one-time decision. Do you believe upon Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection for you? Communion is the humble celebration that Jesus broke his body and shed his blood for you, substituting himself for us and atoning for our sin. And no one can partake in communion but you. You must make this decision. See, again, moving past this elementary doctrine will lead us towards maturity. The fourth one is laying on of hands, and this Old Testament ritual ties together with the washings. Essentially, we have three made up of two parts, and we're seeing this laid out. The first and second are together, the third and the fourth are together. Laying on of hands. This Old Testament ritual ties together with the washings. It was the priest who would lay his hand on the animal, transferring the sin of the people, and then killing the animal, atoning for our sin. And we see this in the old rituals and ceremonies of sacrifice. They'd bring two animals. One the priest would lay his hand on and enter all the sin over the people. Would represent through the, through the priest onto the, at that animal. And then they would release these animals into the, the, the desert away from the city. And then the other animal they would kill and slay this, represent a sacrifice for this amazing sin of the people. And they had, but the problem is they had to do this over and over and over again. It's a ritual that never satisfied. And this laying on of hands was a shadow. See, Jesus was and is the real and lasting sacrifice that we who believe rest our hands on as the sacrificial lamb. He is the one that we now rest our hand on. He is my lamb, my sacrifice for my sin. 
Jesus is our atonement. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our Savior, our Redeemer, our rest. And he's also our priest. He's not just the Lamb. He is the great high priest as well. The one that passed through the heavens for us. And he's far greater, far greater is Jesus than any type of animal sacrifice. Far greater is Jesus than any earthly priest. And this Hebrew church was missing this elementary doctrine. And wanting to go back to ritual, forgetting Jesus on the cross. And this is this Hebrew book of exhortation to the people. And so easily we can slip into ritual or slip into ceremony as the church, can't we? So easily we forget the simplistic milk and elementary teachings of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. The fifth and sixth are tied closely together as well. As I've said, it's kind of three couplets here. The fifth and sixth are resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. See, there's one physical death and then final judgment. And this is consistently taught throughout the scripture. One death, one physical death, and then judgment. And we see this in multiple areas of the scripture. Luke 23, for instance, we see Jesus hanging on the cross and two robbers on each side. And both robbers, like all the people watching this horrific action of crucifixion, are pointing back at Jesus and mocking and jeering him. And Jesus remained quiet. And over a period of time, one of these robbers on one of the sides turns and starts rebuking the other robber. And then looks at Jesus and says, remember me. And Jesus looks back at him and says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Another portion of scripture that talks about this resurrection of the dead is in Matthew chapter 25. And if you want to turn there, why don't we turn there together. In Matthew chapter 25, just an amazing text of scripture. One that we need to all be familiar with. But Matthew 25, I'll start in verse 31. This is the, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment tied together. Verse 31 is a sobering verse. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. I, I can't imagine all the things that what that would look like. His glory. And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. What an amazing word. Come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation, the beginning, from the beginning of the world. And if you're familiar with this text, he goes on to say, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, and you took care of me. And he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is loving our neighbors. 
And he goes on to talk to the goats. Then he will say to those on his left, instead of come, he says, depart. Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And he says the same things. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was stranger. I was naked, sick, and in prison. And you did nothing for me. And in verse 45 and 46, he says, Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, this eternal judgment seems to tie in all six of these together. All six of these instructions, these elementary doctrines, they tie all together. It says those with living works, with faith in the Lord, those that have been washed, have had the great high priest lay his hands on, those that have been born again will find peace in loving others around them. They've literally lived out the two commandments Jesus left us. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as you have been loved by Jesus. And the love they show others is mysteriously shown towards Jesus himself. But those on the left, those that don't show love towards others, have not been born again. They have not received the touch of Jesus or the washing or have put their faith in Jesus or worked to that end. They are, in fact, dull of hearing and seek their own desires over the will of God. And they will be punished for it eternally. See, these six elementary doctrines are not to be ignored. They're not to be ignored. They are our foundation as a church, as an individual of Christ. They are to be believed upon. They are to be known, are to be foundational for you as you move towards maturity. What a list. What a list. The elementary doctrines, the oracles of God, so sweet. So sweet. The third point, only God. Look at our text again. It's on the screen. Let me read it in full now. Therefore, the dullness, the lack of teaching, the lack of movement towards maturity. Therefore, now let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Such a powerful statement. See, there's no more sobering exhortation than this. During sound check, I said, reading this one last little verse, verse 3. We could, spend, we could spend a whole sermon on this. We could spend weeks on this. And, and there are sermons and weeks of, and books and all kinds of things on this. This is the sovereignty of God, if God permits. See, like I said, there's no so, more sobering exhortation than this. The realization that works, going through that sixth list, works, faith, cleansing, laying on of hands, resurrection, and judgment. We do nothing. We do nothing in that list. All, all out of our power. 
But yet God calls us to Jesus, calls calls us to himself, the very one who has the power to offer us life, the very one that we will stand before in judgment. So the calling of maturity is a calling of surrender to the holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God. This is the calling to maturity, to know the elementary doctrines and to live them out, to believe upon them for your salvation, to know that it is Jesus and Jesus alone. It is only God that we rest in him. Like that alone should humble us. That we understand that we are sitting here at this time and this hour, this year of 2024, seven days in, and we're hearing this message that it's like, have I believed upon these elementary doctrines? Have I surrendered? And kids, I've been saying the same five applications to you as I've been saying them to your, your parents. And they are, listen, their surrender, their confess, to receive and to abide. Listen, surrender, confess, receive and abide. These applications are all throughout the book of Hebrews. And these are needed this morning. Will you listen to the word of God this morning? Will you listen to the elementary doctrines the milk of this text to build your foundation of Jesus Christ and build upon it? Will you surrender to Jesus' word today? Will you confess your life over to Christ today? Believe upon him for all of your salvation. He is the, as we've learned in Hebrews, he's our eternal source for our salvation. He is the one. It is all him. We've done nothing but sin. He's done everything. Will you confess Jesus is Lord today? Will you receive eternal life in Jesus today? Will you abide in his word today? By doing these things, you will be on the road towards maturity. Now I want to close with one quote again from this uh, pastor theologian, Kent Hughes, while speaking on this one verse, if God permits... And he wrote this little paragraph here, and it sums it up really quick, really easily. It says this. This is a warning and call for all of us to make progress in our faith. The undeniable spiritual axiom is where there is life, there is growth. And don't we see that everywhere? Where there is life, there is growth. God must be telling us something, even through creation. If we are not more knowledgeable in the faith now than a year ago, if we are not growing in holiness and commitment, we had better check what is going on inside of us. Even more, if we are sliding, losing our grasp on things that were once clear, caring less about God and holiness in the world, we had better drop everything and tend to our souls. Sobering challenge. But isn't that exactly what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is challenging this church and also challenging us? It's a sobering challenge. And I guess this question seven days into year of 2024, what do you need to tend to in your soul? And I'm asking the same of me. What do I need to tend to? How is my heart, my mind going 
opposite of what Christ is? Am I going back to ritual? Am I going back to ceremony? Am I going back to the flesh over Christ? My clear Redeemer, my clear Savior, my clear uh, Lord, the King, the Priest, the perfect prophet and Savior. Are you ready to move towards maturity in Jesus? And I've answered these questions as well. Oftentimes with Jer at the end. Are you ready to go towards maturity in Jesus, Jer? And you can add your name at the end of that question as well. We at the Shore Church, we have core values. And as, a, as your pastor, I want to challenge us more. Just like this pastor is pastoring to the Hebrew church by writing a letter of exhortation, I want to I challenge us as well. Just pretend we're all in my living room, which most of you have seen. You can picture yourself there, sitting on the couch, and just me and you talking. Don't you, don't you want to live out some of the core values in our church? Don't we want to try these a little bit more this year? Like evangelism, evangelizing the unbeliever to belief. Wouldn't that be cool? Like if we all did this? If we all challenged ourselves just a little bit more this year than we did last year? Maybe I shared my faith once last year. Maybe twice, maybe a handful of times. Let me try and up that this year that I might live according to what Jesus has called me to, to go and make disciples. And that's one of our core values here at the shore is evangelism. So if we're not living out these core values, then what are we, what are we doing? And that's to me too. The second is discipleship. Are we discipling others? Are we discipling those new believers towards maturity? Do we know these elementary doctrines that we can walk them through with another individual that they might build a nice, solid, firm foundation built upon Jesus the rock? Are we discipling others? And are we living in community? Our community groups are going to be starting up this, this coming week and, and it's going to be just to invite into a living room to, to start and to join in with one another and to pray for one another and to encourage one another. And I just might remind you in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says that we are to exhort one another daily. Daily, that's community. That's like my new favorite verse regarding community. Hebrews 3.13. Let's exhort one another daily that we might, might not, what, drift away. That we might not fall into the flesh again. That we might not walk away from Jesus, our true Savior and our Redeemer. So church, let us do this. Let us evangelize. Let us disciple. Let us live in community. Let's fall deeply in love with one another. And as we fall deeply in love with one another, may we fall deeper in love with Christ. May that be the joy all of what God has done for you, that you get to now, you get to pass it on to a neighbor. And then Jesus looks at you one day, says, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, because this is just natural for them to do, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger or welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we seek, see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Let's live this out. Let's live this out. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. We want to serve you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And if somewhere deep down in our hearts we're saying, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow you. May we be honest with ourselves and, and confess that sin. May, may we be honest and confess that rebellion and ask you, Lord, Spirit, to enter in, to purge that away from us. That you might transform us to, to want to live a little bit crazy this year for you. Crazy for you. That we will go out of our way to invite others into our home. That we might share the good news of you, Jesus. That we might go out, out of our way to go to talk to someone on the street. Because you are prompting us. Because of they need to hear this amazing story of you, Jesus. And if we're still making up our own gods, that we all kill those off and realize what we're doing is foolishness. That we will actually surrender to the real God, the one who has created all things. This, this world is constantly showing your attributes, Lord. Help us not ignore them any longer. Help us confess you as Lord and Savior and now live that out with maturity. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.